Hey everybody, Jeff here from This Week in Mormons. How y'all doing? Welcome to another exciting week of thrilling discussion on issues pertaining to Latter-day Saints. We're glad you took the time to be with us. Join us at thisweekinmormons.com, where you can find the show notes for any of the articles uh, and stories we talk about today, uh, as well as other articles and items of note that may be of interest to you. We also hope you will consider supporting us on Patreon, P-R-T-R-E-O-N, P-A-T-R-E-O-N, yes, dot com, slash thisweekinmormons, and pledge a buck a month. That's all we're saying. Do it right now while you're listening. It'll be great. You're all multitasking. We know you're all home. Nothing else is going on. So just do that. Anywho, lots going on this week, and we brought in the ringer to break it down, everybody. Dustin Homer, back from exile, having not recorded Sunday School Bonanza in a couple of years, is here in the big house. What's up, sir? Good good to be back. Thanks very much. Nice to have you, man. Yeah, we haven't- Nice uh, to be here. We haven't jammed up for a bit ever since we kind of just, we kind of paused on the old Sunday School project, and it's been a bit of time. Well, I I fell out of favor, but glad uh, you know, glad that you could scrape the bottom of the barrel and dig me back up. So I am also glad. It's it's like deglazing. You know, you're down there burned on, and I just pour some wine or some stock and just scrape, scrape, scrape. And here was, you are. That was far too fancy of a analogy for me to follow, but I, I appreciate very, the point. Everybody, I appreciate everybody. The point. If you have a burnt pan, just deglaze it, and you get all that delicious burnt nubs in the sauce. Just you got to get something to. <laughs> You just can't scrape. You have to apply a certain uh, anyway. My strategy, my strategy with a burnt pan is just to fill it with some water and then leave it on the counter for you know one to five days. No, no, so uh, that doesn't work. You the some of the burn bits can add flavor to your sauce, Dustin. This is the key. There's good stuff in there. There's good stuff in there. Well, if I'm lucky, then Courtney washes it during one of those days. So that's usually where the strategy kind of plays out oh the my best. Gosh. You are such a sexist pig. <laughs> <laughs> that might be true. Working on it. Working on oh, it. Oh my gosh, that's terrible. But uh so how's life for you? Dustin and I both live in Northern Virginia. How how's stuff going in your part of the of Nova? Yeah, stuff is the same as it's been for some time inside the house. Um though certainly certainly a lot to to talk and think about going on in our world that's really important but uh, you know for me and my crew we're we're fortunate to be healthy and employed and happy and uh, still enjoying time together so how about you yeah we're good you know just trying to keep our like you said we're just trying to keep everybody healthy and, and uh yeah i haven't come down with coronavirus or anything like unto it so far right. so fingers crossed had- that it stays that way I had a scare as we were discussing before, but uh, found out weeks later that we actually didn't have it. So yeah, you totally dis- told me disappointed. It was it was heartbreaking in a way when I'd see pictures on Instagram of you just moping around the house with a mask on, trying to associate with your children. <laughs> or this is before masks. Were, this is before masks were cool. Everybody, this was yeah. like a genuine, a genuine effort to try to prevent transmission on Dustin's part. And we all got sick anyway, except for the baby. And then thought we'd made it through and we were now super immune and ready to take on the world. And then we finally got one of the serological tests and no dice, just some common flu or something. I'm beginning to think that coronavirus was created by the Democrats in a lab to crash the American economy. Is that new? You've, you've just coined that theory? Yes. I just made this up right now. I'm selling yeah. it. I haven't heard that new- before. No, it's it's just it's all totally original, straight out of my mind. Uh, it's it's truthiness. I feel it in my gut. There's no data. I don't need that. It's nonsense. 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 You know. Nonsense. You know 
Why yeah. have facts when you can have anecdotes? That, that's right. I'm your I'm your evidence. I'm your living evidence that it's all a hoax. We're just down. Yeah, we're just kind of down this week. I want to I want to be laughy and stuff, but it hasn't really been a very laughy week, has it? Yeah. There's uh I mean, we had the twin sisters on last week and they of course, you know, in a lot of the uh civil unrest we've had going on in, in the US had started and the church responded a little bit, you know, President Nelson had a statement, but things have continued uh for sure and this isn't going away anytime soon and I and I want to uh I hate to say do it justice because justice is sort of a, a big hot word right now, right? But but this is a, a topic that we can't just gloss over and uh, can't just ignore because there's a lot going on. And a lot of it has, a lot of things have happened in the past week that are pertinent to Latter-day Saints in particular, whether it's just news articles that have come out or bloggers with you know their ideas. But uh, we've seen a lot going on in the Latter-day Saint community uh, when it comes to notions of white privilege or systemic racism or police brutality, any of these things, all of these things are issues. They're not mutually exclusive necessarily. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, I think maybe one place to start is to also acknowledge that here we are two white guys talking about this and, uh, you know, we can do our best and I think are doing our best to learn and to, to change, right. And to, to reflect and to understand and to communicate. But, you know, I think that's for starters, as we think about, you know, especially our black brothers and sisters, um, in the church, who've been grappling with these issues for a long time. And then, you know, some of us sort of have the, the, the privilege, I guess, to not think about it all the time. And, uh, and I think, you know, as, as a lot of, a lot of the, 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 the communication and articles and other things have, have helped us to, you know, I think a lot of us, and, and I should say a lot of us white members of the church to stop and, and, and really think and probably really internalize some things that, that we should have understood much sooner. And uh, anyway, it's just kind of, I guess, important to acknowledge that as we talk about some of these things that, that hopefully we can share a few, a few thoughts. Yeah. Uh, I think you, I think you encapsulated that really well when you, you said, you know, the privilege that we have a lot of times as, as not just white Americans, but white Mormons is that these are things that we don't think about necessarily. Um, And that like, that's the biggest privilege of all because that, and that perfectly defines that entire idea that, you just live your life and assume this is just the norm. What p- people have this whole other life where, you know, they live in fear of the police, where they are disrespected, where they are treated unjustly. And that happens even within the ranks of our own church. You know, it's a real thing. Like I, I had, I've, I had a, a black member in my own ward just said this past week that a previous Bishop had once told him to move back to Africa. Cause that's where he came from. Like these things happen right close to us, even if you think they wouldn't. You wouldn't think you'd look around your own ward, even if your ward is pluralistic and has a great balance of different ethnicities and backgrounds and everything. And that that melting pot can help you see things better. And that's true. I think sometimes we're together as a, as a body politic, as a unit in the church. And hopefully we are getting along and supporting one another and loving one another and following the counsel we have in Mosiah. But then we forget that when we break and we're apart from one another, that the ethnic minorities in our own congregations are still living oftentimes very different lives in very different circumstances uh, that we don't think about as much. I hope I said that appropriately enough. And, 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 you know, um, I think, you know, one of the the pieces this week was, uh, was the Jenna Rice article in 
and the Reese. Tribune, right? Her last Reese. name is Reese, Sorry, Dustin. Jana Reese. I only read. I don't speak very often. So the Jana Reese article in the Salt Lake Tribune, you know, and, and really speaking specifically about the white privilege of Mormons in the United States, right? Mm-hmm. And and yeah. how, you know, I mean, and, 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 you know, echoing a lot of the, a lot of the points that you were making, but also, you know, reminding us of, of our real history of racism as Latter-day Saints, right? In, in, in the United States, um, in different ways and, you know, articulating, articulating, I think in, in an effective way, what a lot of lived experiences are of our of our black brothers and sisters in the church and and you know calling us as as many others have done to to think seriously and and critically about that but especially to think about it from the perspective of what action do we take you know what work do we do uh how do we how do we listen and 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 do better and i think that that's that's been you know i think a, a an effective message but also a frequent message from from a lot of things that i've seen you know written or communicated this week um in in and i think a lot of ways that have been that have been effective and and also you know I think important for a lot of us to a lot of us to read and learn and hear about and think about. Um, well, what, what do you think this means? Like, what what else? What does Jana say? Like, what is what is our history of white privilege or racism within the church? Yeah. So, well, there's there's a lot there, uh, right? Uh, yeah. Well, you know, it's a small which, topic. Yeah, it's we'll spend two minutes that, on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That I don't. That I frankly don't don't feel qualified to 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 speak on at length. But I think there's a couple of critical things, and you know, kind of illustrated here and, and elsewhere. And I think the you know the first piece is to recognize that you know we have a real history of of, of really racist statements and teachings and false doctrines, right? Um, which have since been been you know, uh, at least walked back in different ways, but perhaps not denounced strongly enough and perhaps, um, you know, still too pervasive. And there's a, you know, a great recent example of, of course, the, the, the lesson manual that kept some of that, you know, really, really wrong false doctrine about race, you know, in a, in a, in a current lesson manual. And it was a mistake and an error, but that stuff is real and it affects people in, in a significant way. And it's true. I mean, you've had statements from like, gosh, was it Mark Peterson? Marky Peterson was a uh, interesting fellow of the uh, Quorum of the Twelve Apostles back in the fifties. He said once, "quote To intermarry with a Negro is to forfeit a nation of priesthood holders." That's great. Yeah, and stuff like that. Still, yeah. like we're saying, and I think Jana's saying that too. Some of those statements still exist, like on our web properties, because we've just taken everything that we've had for 60 odd years and just dumped it on the internet. And then eventually we try to de-index it and hide it kind of like the famous um, little factories talk by elder Packer, which now, now you have to search around a bit more for, (laughs) but uh, it's there. It's there. Um, Yeah. This stuff is, and I guess that you can split it up because there's a lot of people who'd want to see the church still apologize for the priesthood ban which I don't know if that'll ever happen, an actual apology in any case. Because even though we, you know, the gospel topics essays have gone to great lengths to try to explain it better, to try to back off and change the narrative and say that this was never a divine thing. But we do still have, like you said, decades of statements by church leadership that was arguing it was the will of God. And the ban itself aside, like we've got so many weird statements from people over the years that, I think it seems like we're hoping we can just kind of sweep them under the rug and and focus on today and just ignore the past. And I get where that mentality might come from. Like, let's just press forward, everybody. 
right? Press forward saints. That's the, that's the hymn, not look behind us and focus on what once happened. But yeah, I, I think, but I, sorry, I was just going to say, given the history of African-Americans and even things like reparations, all that stuff, like there's looking in the past is kind of a big part of understanding huge components of United States history and even current socio-political economic issues in the country. Like it requires us to look behind us to understand it. So I don't know if they're just looking forward yeah. cuts it. Well, and to, and to do work to actively change it. Right. Yeah. And I think that that, the, that's the most important message that our, that our black brothers and sisters are trying to communicate us to us right now. Right. Is that this is not a thing that you just sort of, you know, uh, you know, walk, walk past or say, you know, okay, well, you know, we're better now or something because we're not. And it takes significant action to correct these things and their effects, which are big and generational and significant. And you know, I actually thought, and, and I don't know who wrote, you know, who at the daily universe at BYU wrote, wrote the piece there, wrote the article there. Um, but I thought that they did a great job. Well, which, right? which one are we talking about now? Do we pivot? So I was talking about the daily universe, the BYU daily, daily universe article. Yeah. Tell me more about that. So I think, I think here we were talking about Jana Reese. So what do we got? What's at BYU? So sorry, did, we, did is there more to say on that? Did no, I, did tell I me about BYU, people? Dustin. <laughs> I think that the you know the individual that wrote this article at at BYU did an did an effective job of like really kind of talking about some of these issues head on and and thinking about how they how they affect the the BYU student body, but you know by by extension how they how they affect all of us all of us members of the church right and um you know I think in 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 specific terms talked about the specific instances of racism that 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 people of color students of color experience at at BYU you know predominantly white school um and you know and and you know we might remember things like and I think it was in February there was a, a panel of, uh, I think, all students from Africa, from different parts of Africa, that had a Q&A full with you know, some really racist questions and statements that were submitted anonymously. It was, you know, I think a really hurtful thing for folks and kind of talks about, you know, what's the, what's the experience of a lot of these students of color and, and, and what kind of experience are they, are they living through as they go to BYU and how does that translate to, to how we think about the experiences of these people in the church? And I don't know, I don't know about you, Jeff, I, I know you're a BYU alum as well, but for me, you know, reading this article made me think about, um, you know, racially insensitive things that I said and did as a BYU student and miss, you know, and, and my, you know, significant misunderstanding of the experiences of, of my friends of color when I was a BYU student. And, you know, it was a, it was a really, I think important to read this article and see this student capturing at this moment in time, that this is a real thing that, you know, that BYU students are living with and experiencing um, right now. Uh, and that it matters a lot uh, as we think about, you know, kind of these issues of how, how do we address racism and how do we, how do we make change and do things differently? And well, how are we, you know, how are we treating our, our students and the future leaders of our church and our communities uh, that come from communities of color that, you know, are attending, attending church schools and like, you know, how do, how do you, how do you act differently uh, in order to make sure that, that, that these people um, have all the opportunities that they deserve? Uh, anyway, I thought there were some really interesting points there. I'm also just like props to BYU for publishing this. Um, yeah. The, I, even 10 years ago, this article would not exist at the Daily Universe. There's no way. Um, so I just love that this exists. 
in any capacity whatsoever. So, I mean, just like good on them for doing this. And the author is, uh, let's give a shout out, Lisey Merkley. Good job. Well done. Yeah. Really well done. Very thorough. A lot of good content here. Uh, I really, I very much enjoyed the part. We talked to uh, Paul Reeve, professor of Mormon history at the U of U. Uh, um, They talked about how, you know, in the 19th century, the church accepted Native Americans and African Americans in their congregations when the rest of white Americans believe those people should be rejected and segregated. And and as a result, as he says, quote, you have the conflation of Latter-day Saints with other marginalized groups. But according to Reeve, the church tried to distance itself from minority converts and members by implementing race-based restrictions. So he's sort of arguing that this is kind of what led Brigham Young to announce that black Latter-day Saint men could no longer receive the priesthood. Um, that we were trying to like basically be whiter as a church in some ways to be accepted into like the mainstream of the United States. And that those are some interesting theories and you could see how it tracks with history a little bit because we tried very hard to show how rah, rah, yay American we were by the late 1800s. So you talk, you get statehood and that included banning polygamy. Uh, so interesting, very interesting sections here. I love that he calls Mitt Romney the whitest man, white man to run for president. <laughs> but that we're gonna, that white man who ran for president is showing he's got some good backbone, and we'll get into that. Yeah, what is going on above? Yeah, you know the, and I think there's a there's a there's a, a theme here, right? An important theme that's that's reflected here in this in this piece. Um, from the daily universe, but also in, in a number of other things that have been written this week that when we think about, when we think about racism and whether we're talking about American society, where we're talking about, you know, American Latter-day Saint culture in particular, that, you know, we, we often think about the, you know, whether it's, you know, white supremacist groups, the KKK and, and think about, you know, some of these like big, more obvious manifestations of racism but the most harmful and pervasive racism is the the systemic racism, right? It's the it's the things that that folks don't realize, right? And it's especially that that you know white members of the church like don't realize are racist. Whether it's you know just kind of thinking differently about people, um, you know, we have a lot of paternalism, a lot of talking down to folks. Uh, you know, we have a lot of uh, you know a lot of a lot of assumptions. Um, that are made that are incorrect, a lot of insensitive and hurtful things that are said, right? Which, which are, are a huge deal and really Im- impact people. And, and, you know, I think that that was an important point, you know, take coming out of this Daily Universe article. And again, a lot of other stuff is like recognizing that we talk about racism. We're talking about, you know, we're not usually talking, when we're talking about racism in our culture or racism in the church, we're not, we're not talking about people marching with hoods. We're talking about everyday the way that people think and talk and engage with, with other people and especially people of color in the church and that, and that we're not doing it right, you know, and not, and not, um, and not, not being thoughtful and not, uh, you know, enough and, and, you know, not, not maybe, maybe teaching our kids even well enough, right. How, how to really, how to really, uh, treat fellow humans and, and understand and think about race as an issue and acknowledge it and take specific action to be anti-racist and, and to do things to, to, to really change the, the disadvantages that, that, uh, you know, that, that our brothers and sisters of color experience as, as a result of, you know, both things in the church and things in, in our broader country and community. And I thought that was really well captured by a lot of, a lot of those that have been speaking and writing about these topics this week. Yeah. For me, at least. Um, 
Another quick one here. I appreciated this guest opinion by Julie Boyer. Now, if the last name sounds familiar, that's because she is the white wife of popular uh, Latter-day Saint singer and entertainer Alex Boyer. Um, and if you don't know Alex Boyer, then you have not been listening to this show for long enough, people. He's been <laughs> – we have mentioned him for 10 and a half years. He's always around. Uh Anyway, so the headline says, my black husband didn't defend me in front of the police. Here's why. Uh, basically, her point is that she's speeding. She's a bad driver and blah, blah, blah. So she gets pulled over on Wasatch Boulevard along the East Bench. Um, and essentially, she got pulled over by a cop. I'm going I'm to butcher the story. But she was annoyed that when the police officer came uh, to you know ask for her ID and all the typical stuff, that Alex, who's very extroverted, very chatty, would probably be the type of person to sort of charm his way out of a ticket or a situation. Uh, she said she was taken back that instead her husband who's in the passenger seat. There was a shift of energy. He, he just got completely still and silent. She said she couldn't even hear him breathe. And at first she was kind of annoyed saying, why are you leaving me to fend for myself? You know, Alex didn't say one word to the officer in her defense, silent, unmoving, unwilling. Um, He just sat there and even slouched a little and just made no noise whatsoever. And it really wasn't until she took the time to think about it and learn more about race when she understood where her husband was coming from because he didn't want to get into trouble. And you've seen this, like you've seen this, uh, you know, dramatized many all throughout television and movies and this and that, you know, when black people do get pulled over more often than white people, that's a fact. And then even when it happens, they are afraid to appear uh, that they could be stirring up trouble in any way. And like you think that, you know, Utah, if you're in Sandy, Utah, there's a pretty strong chance you might be a Latter-day Saint. And there's a strong chance the officer pulling you over might be a Latter-day Saint as well. And yet that fear is still there. Uh, so I think this is just a a good article. It doesn't cover all the bases. This is not like a panacea for racism or anything like that. But it's good to see a perspective on this, especially for someone who's even a well-known, famous Latter-day Saint who's still, as a black man, as a British black man, no less, still has to feel like he has to behave in certain ways in certain situations when he should not have to. So give it a read. It's worth checking out. Yeah, definitely worth checking out. Um, And, you know, I think, you know, kind of tying it all together, perhaps, um, is is thinking about some of the, you know, the prophet's statements and, and, you know, particularly thinking about um, his, his joint statement with the NAACP, um, which I think is, is, is really interesting. And, you know, and I think for, for a lot of folks, um, really exciting to see our, our prophet and the president of our church, you know, developing a close, close relationship with the leaders of the NAACP and speaking out very specifically. And, and in the, you know, and hopefully, you know, for folks that were able to read the entire joint statement on medium, you know, as they speak specifically about the killing. By the way, oh, we're on Medium. Who knew? That's the first thing we've ever published on Medium as a church. As oh, really? Uh, if you click on the okay. Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, that's the only thing that pops up. So there we go. Well, I think that's a strong starting point. And, you know, I think important that speaks specifically about the killing of George Floyd, right? And speaks specifically uh, about the uh, about the systemic issues of racism that and inequality that lead to that. And then, you know, talk about how people of faith that, that we unequivocally reject all forms of racism and we unequivocally, you know, reject, um, 
anything that 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 enables you know that kind of real injustice to happen um in our in our in our homes in our society in our culture and you know to do that in a way that says you know listen this is this is this is a statement that we're making together well, it, and i know and go ahead i was just going to say one of these i love one of these lines i mean this is a joint statement so you can consider this the words of president nelson he says prejudice hate and discrimination are learned think about that thus we call on parents family members and teachers to be the first line of defense teaching children to love all and to find the good in others is more crucial than ever oneness is not sameness in america we must learn all learn to value the differences yeah. as you were uh, to unlearn to unlearn to unlearn our behaviors and to teach to teach you know future generations differently yeah. and you know and i think i think you know this is this is important and strong that you know again the, the, you know we this is our prophet speaking saying we call on government business and educational leaders at every level to review processes laws and organizational attitudes regarding racism and root them out once and for all Right. So, you know, it's it talking, you know, it's our it's our prophet calling for specific personal, spiritual, but also civic and professional action to really fight to be anti-racist and to and to make sure that we root out these practices. I think that's important. We don't often see the prophets say, listen, like, you know, these changes need to be made and they need to be made in your community and in your business and in your home. Um, it's a it's a, you know, I think a, a powerful statement from the president of the church. On that regard, um, no, it totally is, and it's it's a good reminder too. Because I uh, was a president, was it Hinckley? But I was looking for this this past week, and I couldn't find the right one. But uh, th- there have been words from prophets in years past that have stressed, like any man who feels that he is somehow superior to another because of things such as race, is essentially not worthy to have that priesthood that he bears. And I and they said, you know, amen to the priesthood of that man. Yeah. That's a crucial reminder. Like you cannot be a worthy priesthood holder and also have racial attitudes or racist attitudes right, rather. Right. Like th- you cannot have the two. And I believe right now in a church, we have many that do have the two. Um, yeah. And that's something you need to really look inside all of ourselves and really think like, you know, when you think about the last supper and the Lord you know, told all the disciples, all the apostles that one of them was going to betray him. And, the, and they were like, Lord, is it I? Like, we have to ask ourselves, like, man, like, am I, the, am I part of the problem? And that causes a lot of, that's, that's a lot of introspection that's required. Yeah. But we have to be willing to do that because you might think that you're like a perfectly good, helpful person. And I think a lot of us are, but we still need to look inside ourselves and see perhaps what might need to be different. Yeah. I think that's well said. Be better. And I think, you know, if we look back at the prophet statement from, from a few days ago, not this one, but the, the public statement that he issued a few days ago, he called on us to repent. You know, he called on, on anybody um, who is guilty of the sin of racism to repent. And, you know, reflecting on that, and especially in light of, uh, you know, a lot of these other things that have been written and that we've been discussing, I mean, I think that that, that includes many of us. It includes me, right? Like, it includes me as I think about, uh, you know, a lot of, you know, things that, that I have said and done that, you know, didn't perhaps understand or intend, right, to be racist. But, like, that's the, that's the racism that's perhaps the most harmful in some ways, right? Is that that's, that's implicit, that's, um, you know that's uh that's setting people apart as others or or diminishing you know their their contributions like that's a that's a big deal and so i, I you know I, I personally you know i think that that the prophet is as you said jeff you know in in these in these messages reminding all of us that this is a deeply personal issue that each of us 
needs to consider and make very specific personal changes. And he talks in this statement, in the in the in the statement with the NAACP about action. And in fact, I love that that they draw out a, a quote from Dr. King, you know, that talks about how hate can't drive out hate, and only love can do that. But that it's it's this love that inspires us to do the rigorous work of building bridges of cooperation. But I mean, this idea that it's rigorous work, and this was referenced in the Jana Reese article and the, the BYU Daily Universe article, that it's about doing work, right? It's about making active change. It's about learning, understanding, realizing all these different evidences of racism in ourselves, our homes, our church, our community, and then taking specific action against them. And, you know, it comes from the prophet and, yeah. and everyone else. I mean- like you would have hoped that if you watched the 1998 masterpiece Volcano, which I trust you've seen, Dustin, because I know you're such a movie buff. Uh, I have um, indeed. I have seen that surprisingly with Tommy Lee Jones. That movie solved racism, and it's sad that we seem to have lost the lessons. For those of you who I'm going for a bit of levity here, for those of you who don't know what I'm talking about, in the film, there's a racist white cop who's who's difficult with the black community, as we've seen. Now, in the very end, you know, there's lava coming because a volcano is coming out of the La Brea Tar Pits in L.A. Because, of course, it is. And it gets to the point that the the black man and the white officer help each other, have to help each other. And it changes the heart of the racist white cop. There's a lot of tropes going on there. But think about that, though. I mean, I'm not trying to be serious about it, but that's a 22-year-old movie. And we were dealing – we were telling that story back then. And so, like you kind of said, Dustin – what are we doing now? Like we've got to do stuff. We've got to actually take action here and make it so this is not something that would show up as a story in a film because we don't act that way anymore. We have actually moved past it. Uh, it's yeah. Yeah. It, it breaks my heart. Yeah. And you know, just, just one other, you know, comment on this or on the point of action. I mean, I think, you know, for, for, for those of us who were, you know, white Latter-day Saints, I mean, I think, I think uh, there's been a, an opportunity with a lot of this, um, uh, a, a lot of the the things that are happening and the, the the information that's been available to consume and and demonstration otherwise of people realizing you know and and you pointing out you know a lot of examples of 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 uh, I think a, a lot of white latter day saints you know recognizing white privilege in a different way seeing racism in a different light understanding how pervasive racism is and I think uh, you know the, the the natural question that I that I'm that I I know. That our black brothers and sisters are are asking us to, you know, or asking themselves, is where where were you know where where were white Latter Day Saints before on this topic, right? Like why why are we just finally, you know, maybe maybe starting to at least begin to get it, and where are we going to be after this, right? You know what what is it is it a moment or or is this you know actual repentance which requires change? And I think that's the question that 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 a lot of a lot of folks are asking right now, and, and the question that we should be asking ourselves too, right? And I think that that's that's not stated explicitly, but reflected in a lot of the news this week is okay. But what do we, you know, like like, what are we going to do for forever now, not just today? So let's let's pivot a little bit here. Um, I want to talk about Mitt Romney, of course. Good old Mitt Romney. Um, I have policy differences with Mitt Romney. That's fine, but. Mitt Romney has kind of the 2020 has been a year of Mitt Romney kind of just stepping up a bit, right? Like it's a man who agree with him or not has at least been voting his conscience or acting his conscience more. Now this is relevant right now because Mitt Romney was out there this weekend in Washington, DC marching with black lives matter supporters. 
and reporters found him and they said, Oh, hey, because basically if you see you see some reporters, I don't know if he announced it, because you see him in a crowd. He's not like walking around with staffers or anything, as far as I can tell. It's like Mitt Romney's just walking down the street with other wearing a mask and just doing it with other people. And uh all he responded with was, We need to stand up and say that black lives matter. I mean, and good on him, because I have not seen anyone else on his side of the aisle in Congress doing the same. So I'm not trying to paint with too broad a a brush when it comes to parties or anything, but it's nice to see at least someone who can try to get outside of this party mentality in a way, at least, and just do what he thinks is right in this case. Um, So it's just like, that's all it was. I mean, there's not much more of the story, but he he marched and he marched with Black Lives Matter supporters and just said like, yeah, this is an issue. I mean, it's on Twitter. Uh, of course, the president could not help but, you know, make schoolyard jokes about him on Twitter about it, which like, why? Like, why would you waste your time doing that? But that's a whole other. I don't think you or I should talk about Trump, Dustin, or else we're going to like the whole rest of the show is going to be us getting very mad. But um, but yeah, <laughs> yeah. So good on Romney and McKay Coppins also known as The Divine, wrote us a wonderful little article called Why Romney Marched. So he talked a lot about Mitt Romney's dad. George Romney was a very interesting character. Uh, He was the Republican governor of Michigan during the 1967 Detroit riots. He he didn't march to his party. Like He did not love um, the Goldwater Republicans by any stretch of the imagination. I love this one main quote here when he just said, Force alone will not eliminate riots. We must eliminate the problems from which they stem. Well, you know, I think for, for starters, I mean, talking about Mitt, I mean, I think, you know, first, I mean, this is, you know, the the most uh, prominent Latter-day Saint in the public sphere. So, you know, well done, Mitt. Uh, and also... And I think critically, I mean, this isn't a partisan issue we're talking about. This is a this is a human rights yeah. issue. This is a deep exactly. human issue, and it, and it and it really can't and ought not be a partisan issue. And I hope that that's that's part of what what he can model. Um, but then going back to your point about about George Romney, I mean, I think what's what's interesting, and again, you know, thinking about our history as Latter Day Saints, I mean, you know, most most Latter Day Saints in the uh, obviously Jeff, neither you nor I were alive in the 1960s and 70s, but from from everything that I have read and understand, uh, most Latter Day Saints were not uh, really very supportive, or at least on board actively with the civil rights movement at the time, um, from leadership to 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 many or most members, um, and George Romney was an exception to that. And I think that that's, uh, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure an important, important part of, uh, you know, Mitt's upbringing as well. And I think an important reminder for all of us, right? Where do we, you know, we are today's Latter-day Saints. Where do we stand? Yeah. We'll be- and Mitt admits that he stands on his father's shoulders, right? Like, he, I think he, his father's influence is pretty, pretty obviously strong and weighs on his mind quite a bit. And I don't know if Mitt Romney looking at this was being introspective. And said, like, should I march with this? Like, what would dad do? You know, we have no idea. Right. But it's just good to see somebody out there doing this. Next up, Elder Cook, you need to march too. I'm calling on you. It was Quentin. It was called here first. Quentin, go and march. Uh, there's also a, uh, a change.org petition here to make race and ethnicity classes a mandatory BYU graduation requirement which I think is pretty interesting. Um, 
So far, it's been signed by 17,000 people. They're trying to get it up to 25,000 people. Uh, and so it's essentially essentially this, to require, I'm not going to call it racial sensitivity training. That sounds a bit too HR corporate. But that we need to have more classes explaining diversity and history and all these areas that we can easily gloss over, especially when you're taking, um, what's the famous BYU U.S. history class? that American I Heritage. Transferred? Yeah, American Heritage. Like, is American heritage cutting it when it comes to the curriculum in that regard? So this is this is asking that we sign the petition and pressure BYU to change their curriculum. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, it's school, 80, 80 plus percent white student body. I'd, I would have uh, I would have been yeah. I would have benefited from that class. I probably would have as well. I mean, I had never American heritage is so famous, but I just I didn't take it. Me neither. I've, I'm. Did you transfer there too? No, I, I don't know. I got around it somehow. What? Well, you know. I got around math because for some reason BYU thinks that a foreign language credit is equivalent to math. And so <laughs> I just didn't. <laughs> I, I don't really understand that, but great. Okay. It's fine. Language. There, are many, there are many languages. Yeah, there's a lot of, yeah. So go figure. Calculus notation is a language. So, okay. But yeah, no, interesting. Interesting on the petition. Hey, and respecting the organizers again. BOU students out there making things happen, pushing for making change. Things. Yeah, making things happen. Well done, ladies and gentlemen. Um, I'm going to pivot away from some of our main theme right now. and We're going to talk about a topic many of you are going to care about quite a bit. Everybody, the church's news content is now available on the church's newsroom site in addition to thechurchnews.com. Yay. Yep. This is the article you've all been waiting for. My friends, what this means, I'm just going to read this because no one understands what they're saying, but this means official announcements and news and events of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints can now be found in one place, newsroom.churchofjesuschrist.org. This page merges content from what were the church news and events and official newsroom sections of the regular old church website, the primary domain, www.churchofjesuschrist.org. So... That they're just trying to put it all in one spot. That's all this is. I have no com- I, I have no comment. I'm speechless. I mean, it's a best practice to put out a news release about how you're covering your own news. But I also think if they had done this and never said a word, nobody would have cared. But good job on consolidating. Thank you. Maybe. Thank you. I'm gonna I'm gonna take credit for it. Yeah, I'm sure it was your it was your your tireless efforts. So well done. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. you. So everybody, don't, if you need, just go to the newsroom for everything now. That's what you need to do. Do it. I guess. Yeah. Do it. Which still makes no sense given how they've altered the social media pages for news. I could write an essay about all these confusing moves. It's okay. Move along. So move along. Other news, uh, general conference in online again in October. I'm cool with it. Yeah. I'm into it. I, I, how was it for you? We we didn't touch. Talk, we didn't talk much about it. How uh, did you have any main takeaways from COVID conference last time? Um, yeah, but it was it was awesome. It was awesome. You know the the modern our modern prophet spoke. Revelation was had. Spirit was there. Um, passive voice was used. Boom. Passive voice was used. Good. <laughs> uh, and I think. You know, for, I don't know for 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 us, um, it, it wasn't that different. 
I don't know. It, it was it wasn't that different. Yeah. I mean, there was you know a little little bit here and there, but um, you know, here in the 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 you know hearing the prophet speak at a particularly challenging time and calling us to fast together was real spiritual highlight. I teach 12 year old Sunday school. Uh, some of the most insightful 12 year olds that I have ever met or imagined. And like, that was a big deal to them, you know, that these 12 year old kids were called on by the prophet to pray and help heal the world. And like it, it impacted them and it impacted me. And uh, you know, I'd forgotten about that part of it. Yeah. Yeah. It was a big deal. I enjoyed it felt more low key, which I actually enjoyed. Like it sometimes conference can feel a little uh not pretentious, but here we are, this amazing gathering of saints around the world. There's never been a gathering this large. You know, we outstat ourselves every single conference, right? Um, I thought it was kind of nice to get back to basics and say, we're just going to sit in this room. We're going to broadcast talks and we're just going to broadcast old tabernacle choir performances. And it's perfectly good. So I'm fine with it. I really hope that they do the same quality with the floral arranging that they did last time (laughs) because everybody was laughing a lot about that. Uh, Even though I think they put conference together in that format under pretty short notice. I mean, really it was a matter of what they have two and a half, two, two and a half weeks or so until the, the fact. So it might be a bit different this time with more lead time. But uh, yeah. the fact that they are announcing this now for October, this is something that affects us, Dustin. It makes me wonder when they are go- when their go no go line is for the DC Temple Open House that's slated mm-hmm. for the end of September and still hasn't changed. We've been we've been pondering this in my household as well. So seems yeah. seems unlikely to me at this point, but we'll see. Glad it's not my call. I just don't. No, I mean, I just don't know how you do it. And the DC Temple, which this isn't because I live here, but let's face it, it's gonna it's gonna be one with a lot more pomp than I'd say your typical temple rededication open house. That's fair. Uh, just give just given the location and the history of it, and the and the people who can come. That's why they have a month of like VIP visits. I mean, they want VIPs there, and if it's coronavirus going on, it's going to be a lot harder to rustle up the dignitaries and get a lot of good photo ops. And it sounds cynical, but it's a it's a PR gold mine for the church and they're aware of that and they don't, I don't think they're going to want to jeopardize that. So I don't know. Massive missionary, what, maybe give it a massive missionary opportunity. Yeah. Or P- it's huge. I mean, just other way to say PR gold mine, I guess, you know, like, but yeah, I mean, I'm that's one way to look at I'm it. with you, but the, I'm looking forward to yeah. it. I just hope, I hope they don't can. Yeah. They, they might have to though. I think it's going to go until spring then. Yeah. I think you're, if they push it back, I think you're right. Um, most likely. And, you know, it's been interesting to think about with, you know, obviously church closers, but thinking, you know, in context of general conference, I mean, it's like we both can operate without having to be in the same place in a lot of amazing ways. But also like at the end of the day, like we're humans, we're social. At some point we got to be like back in the same place, right? It's like, I don't know. I think we can do another general conference. Makes you wonder about April, makes you wonder how long, right? Some of these different things will be will be different and spaced. But, you know, at the end of the day, like, you know, I've had the privilege, right? One of many privileges I've had is to actually be in the conference center and see modern prophets speak. And that's like a big deal. And you can't, you can't quite replace that. Uh, it's true. I wonder if at some point they're going to have to bite the bullet and start doing temple ordinances over Zoom. Interesting. I mean, hopefully, I'd, hopefully it's more secure than Zoom, right? Like maybe WebEx. <laughs> <laughs> so that's gonna be on it's gonna be on blue jeans. Yeah, blue jeans. Like that. There we go. Uh, which would be an ironic name for something you're doing in the temple. Other quick temple news we'll throw out here. Uh so the Salta Argentina temple is going to have its ground broken. There's some more passive voice for you. Uh the third temple in Argentina, Saturday, August 15th. 
Apparently, it's still going down. I heard the story was pulled at some point, so I don't know if they were backing off because of COVID, but it's still there. It's still up. It still exists. So Salta, for those of you who don't know it geographically, it's it's in the province that's wedged all the way up on the Bolivian and Chilean border. That's where it is. So they're going to get another temple there. Good for you, Argentina. Great work. Very exciting. And also, as seems to now be our weekly uh, pastime, the church has announced more temples will now be opening uh, in terms, you know, in, in a limited capacity, but now we're up to 89 temples. So that's, is are going to be opening up. That's over half of the t- active dedicated temples in the church. So it's all still just for living ceilings only. I don't think there's a single one that has moved past that phase, uh, for anything else based on good old church of Jesus Christ temples, great website, great resource. I don't see anything that says they moved on to a different phase, but, uh, we're adding to the list. I imagine they'll announce 15 to 17 or 18 more next Monday. That's my guess if I were a betting man, which I am not. <laughs> yeah, well, I think it would be a safe bet if you were. Yeah. Um, speaking of temples and China and very, China, very, China. very interesting CNN long, right? It was a CNN? It was a CNN article. Right. This was CNN, yeah. yeah. Good for them. Yeah, really interesting, long, in-depth discussion of the church in China. Some really interesting points. A couple of things I didn't know, probably a lot of other people knew, but you know, I mean I, I was generally aware <laughs> generally aware that, you know, we can't proselyte in China, in mainland China. Um wasn't aware that there are separate congregations for the congregations yes. that are allowed to exist, separate congregations for you know, foreigners or expats or whatever term you but, use. Yeah, but they and, they do not intermingle at right, all. Right. Well, no, but I mean for like so like foreigners, like non-Chinese expats, foreigners yeah. have one congregation. And then diaspora, Chinese people who have lived abroad, joined the church, returned home, separate congregation, not allowed to intermingle. I had no idea. Yeah. At all. Yeah. So I've learned a little bit about this. Listeners know my mom was living in China for a couple of years. Right. So um, so she, I, I got up on some of this and yeah, they, they cannot associate with them, but this, this article is really interesting because it, it talks, they've even had someone who will sit in the meeting if it's the expat congregation. Right. And if, a if a native local Chinese saint walks up or just wants to go to the service, they have to like turn them away. Like this is one of the few times in our church when you're going to have people actively needing to turn those away who might want to attend because it's, we have such a, we have a fragile, very delicate balance there being allowed to sort of function in China. And we don't want to jeopardize that. Uh, and so it's, yeah, this is, this is a long article too. CNN did a yeah, they got into ton it. of, re- got some history, ton of research on some this. good history, yeah. even about like the stuff I didn't know about, like the earliest, the missionaries that went to Hong Kong and had a pretty challenging yeah, early time missionaries- of it. In the 1850- Here's what I love too. 1853. I didn't know. I had no idea. I had no idea. And the church, the funny thing is a lot of this, the church, they reached out to the church for comment and the church didn't even participate in this article as far as I know. And one thing, I hope this doesn't get us into any trouble. This actually has a map showing where we have meeting houses in China. This is something that's sort of known, but off the books as far as I'm aware. Um, and sometimes they quote meeting house isn't really a meeting house. It's like, it basically it's like a house. Like we don't have, as far as I know, actual built church structures like that in china um 
But that's kind of interesting to me because I've never seen it on a map actually acknowledging here are the cities where we have an organized place for expats to meet together. Super interesting. And and obviously Hong Kong's a different beast, you know, even though it's slowly not being a different beast thanks to the Chinese government of late. But in terms of congregations, there's a temple there. The church functions more uh, transparently, as you might expect, given the history there. But elsewhere, yeah, it's super crazy to look at this and be like, yep, there's a group in Xi'an. There's one in Chengdu. There's one in Qingdao. One in Beijing. Yeah, good article. Good article. And, you know, talks about the temple, the Shanghai Temple. And it was interesting yeah. to note that, you know, that that formally, you know, the the the, the government of Shanghai is, you know, implied that, you know, they did maybe didn't bless it or that they, you know, that it, that, that it was a unilateral announcement made without their knowledge, which most people, most experts say, you know, cannot possibly be the case, but that, you know, that they can't publicly, um, you know, kind of be shown in favor of, of, of a certain religion or, you know, kind of religious expansion, especially, yeah, yeah. but, you know, that, but that almost certainly we must've had like clear approval before making that kind of announcement. But, you know, I mean, it's when the announcement was made, it was obviously done kind of carefully. And, and the prophet was very clear about saying, this is not a place we visit. Like this is for saints in this place. Uh, and, you know, we need to, tr- need to treat it carefully. And it was helpful to read this article and think about, you know, it's like, we got to be real careful. The, and those saints have to be real, real careful in, in all the different aspects that you were talking about and in having a temple, which is amazing uh, and will probably take some time to navigate. They're going to have to be real careful about that too. Who goes? Yeah. Who's there? So Who goes and when? They know it's going to be by appointment only. And what remains to be seen is if the temple itself is even going to be much of a temple temple. I mean, at first glance at some of the language President Nelson used, I thought he meant like it would be a, a nice, simple temple. So we've had some more austere ones of late, like in the DRC and in Haiti. Um, but then you really read the text and it almost makes it seem like it might just be like a multi-purpose building where when it's a temple, they f- you know flick a switch, so to speak, mm-hmm. and it becomes a temple. And Maybe. We, we don't know. We don't know. Uh, yeah. It'll be interesting, yeah. but it will be very interesting to see. Well, all the, uh, best, our, all the best to those saints, the standard of truth. Go yes, forward. I'm sure you're all listening, all of you. I guarantee you're all listening to this Someone, podcast. one, maybe one, maybe one, and we care. So. I could actually find out our listener numbers right now, but I won't. But they happen in China every now and then. So uh, last article of the week, everybody. This BYU professor, Jacob Rug, asked 400 of his former BYU students whom they plan to vote for in 2020. And the answers are very interesting. And his methodology is sound. That's the... Uh, worth mentioning up front, um, 398 respondents, 325 registered likely voters, current and graduated BYU students of millennial and generation Z college educated uh, ages 18 through 39. Um, the big takeaway here, everybody, is I don't think there's a majority group anywhere where somebody's into Trump from this survey. No. Am I reading that correctly? You're reading it yeah. correctly. Not even those that identify as Republicans in that sample, not even a majority of those folks are planning to vote for Donald Trump. Which might not shock you. Of that group, that's the closest one, where it's 49% of Republican voters say Donald Trump. And thirty uh, only 15% of Republican voters say Joe Biden, which is interesting. 91% of Democratic voters support Joe Biden. And when breaking it down by gender... You often see this. This is very common. You know, women tend to vote more Democratic, but still only 33% of men 
for Trump and 40% of men for Joe Biden. Obviously, this is just a sample of BYU students. I wouldn't say you could extrapolate it out to represent like all of the United States necessarily, but um, or even all of the church. That's a very yeah, or even all of the church. But that's a very interesting gender swap there yeah. because that is where a a male Republican candidate is going to perform better among amongst men, generally speaking, and. For, by and large, BYU students are Mormons, and ergo, by and large, are probably Republicans. But um, that's some interesting data. But still, 27% of the undecided number is what does not vacillate much, right? Between men and women, it's roughly the same. Uh, about a quarter are still undecided. So, right. Which could change things a lot. So, there's change some a lot. Fa- there is some fascinating data here, and he goes deep into it. He also links out to the actual study at all the, uh, all the different charts. Yeah. Am I missing anything cool about this one? Well, I mean, he talks also about, you know, how the the question is going to be, you know, there's those who do not support the current president, you know, are they going to have fragmented votes, right? Are they going to unify around a candidate like Joe Biden? Interesting, right? That you actually see, you know, probably a surprising concentration of support right now from this survey for, for Joe Biden as a candidate, which is, you know, interesting and unusual, but there is a question and, you know, begs a lot of questions about, you know, will as, you know, kind of new generational shift happens in the country and amongst Latter-day Saints, what does that mean for political alignment in particular amongst Latter-day Saints? I think it's it's an open question right now. I do not think it will mirror uh, past generations as closely. So, Yeah. Also interesting that he compared uh, their votes from 2016 as well. And of course, Evan McMullen factored in heavily, you know, at the time, at the time. Uh, but it's a, uh, there's some cool data here. Good charts. Lots of good pictures for those of you who don't want to read, like me. Um, you can just check it out. Like you can see 2016 McMullen voters, for example, uh, in 2020 are saying 41% would vote for Biden and only 14 would vote for Donald Trump. I love this. But like, yeah, I mean, you can see it bounces around. Who'd you vote for? How are you going to vote for now? Silent Dem, Mormon, white, racial. It's a deep dive on medium, folks. You should check it out. Definitely check it out. When you have time. Definitely check it out. Well, folks, um, that's going to be it for the week, I think. I hope we have acquitted ourselves well. I, I apologize if I said anything clumsily or uh, with any degree of insensitivity around issues of uh, of racial justice. Certainly not my intent if I in, if I errantly did so. No, but uh, and I can say that I think I can say the same for Dustin, but we've tried to be delicate and respectful and hopefully have a good conversation about these things. And and maybe maybe we could say, and you know, for for everybody, we love you. And for our brothers and sisters of color, we stand with you right now. And we're all going to figure out how to be better. And uh, glad that we that we have these opportunity this opportunity to reflect and think about the change that's needed. For sure. Remember the Council on Doctrine and Covenants, section 38, everybody. And what does that say? If you are not one, you are not mine. So I thought this was going to be, I thought that notion was going to be tested because of COVID, because of like reopening, you know, like if we'd see ites among us, like for mask wearers and non-mask wearers and all that sort of stuff. But I think we're also going to see it in other circumstances if we're not careful. So let's remember that. Uh, We hope you'll join us on social media. Subscribe to this podcast if you haven't done so already. And we would uh, love to hear from you. For any feedback you have, contact at thisweekinmormons.com. Uh, you can sound off on the website with this show. There's a post with all these stories linked up there. And go to our Facebook page. Hang out with us. So, Dustin, thanks for being here, buddy. Thanks for having me. Pleasure, my friend. Uh, this Week in Mormons will return next week. And hopefully 
America will still be a thing by then. So uh, be well, be holy, and be happy.